0: Hello, coaches. Welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. The Championship Vision Podcast is designed to encourage leaders to have a championship vision of their personal lives and career. This podcast is getting leaders to share their secrets of success. So get out your notebooks and write down notes to make you a championship vision leader. Elite leaders have a vision and find ways to get buy in and believe in. Let's share a vision. Hello, coaches. This is Coach Kevin Furtado. I'm the head girls basketball coach at Lake Oconee Academy in Greensboro, Georgia. Today, we have a special guest on Episode 29 of the Championship Vision Podcast. Today, we're going to visit with Allen Stein, Jr. He spent 15 years working with the highest performing basketball players in the world, including some of the best ever in the NBA. He shifted focus about two years ago to enter the world of corporate speaking, when he realized that the leadership, culture, and teamwork he was teaching through basketball could be applied in the business world as well. Allen delivers high-energy keynotes and interactive workshops to improve performance, cohesion, and accountability. He inspires and empowers everyone he works with to take immediate action and improve mindset, habits, and productivity. In this episode, Allen and I talk about his new book, Raise Your Game, that examines what the most influential leaders do during the unseen hours and provides proven principles that you can implement immediately. You will learn the routines, rituals, and habits of the best of the best in sports and in business that will teach you how to unleash unparalleled productivity. High achievers are at the top of their game because of the discipline they have during the unseen hours. They have made a commitment to establish, tweak, and repeat positive habits in everything they do. Raise Your Game examines the top leaders in sports and business and proves that success is a result of little things we do all the time. The basic principles provided in Raise Your Game are simple but not easy. We live in an instantly downloadable world that encourages us to skip steps. We are taught to chase what's hot, flashy, and sexy and ignore what's basic. But the basics work. They always have and they always will. Raise Your Game will inspire and empower you to commit to the fundamentals, create a winning mindset, and progress into new levels of success. Mm -hmm. Go grab your notebook right now so you can write down all your favorite quotes as you listen to the episode of the Championship Vision Podcast with Alan Stein Jr. Coaches, let's welcome Alan Stein Jr.
1: This is Alan Stein Jr. My new book, Raise Your Game, high performance secrets from the best of the best will be available from all major book retailers on January 8th. Raise Your Game takes a rare peek behind the curtain and shows you what the top coaches and players in the game do during the unseen hours. I share their routines, rituals and habits as well as proven strategies that you can implement with your team immediately. If you wanna maximize your coaching impact and influence, Order your copy today at raiseyourgamebook.com. Hey, good morning, Kevin. Alan, how are you? I'm
0: fantastic. How are you? Good. I'm doing great. Hey, we're a small-time operation here, you know. No, that's okay. <laughs>
1: this works out well, man. I'm excited to join you.
0: That's great. I sure. That's a great honor to have you on.
1: No, my pleasure.
0: I got so many of my friends that... Um, and uh, my players and uh, coaches—they all part of. They uh, they are all, all really excited to listen to the podcast and everything I was telling them about you. Hey, um, welcome again, and, and can you tell us a little bit about your background um, and how you developed this? Uh, how do you become how, this drive to become the success you are right now at this time?
1: You know, basketball was my first identifiable passion. I, I fell in love with the game at probably five or six years old, and it's been a major staple in my life ever since. And I'll actually be turning 43 coming up here in January. So, you know, basketball has been a, a pillar of my life. Um, and, you know, I, I was very fortunate at a young age to play a variety of different sports, a variety of different activities, you know, ranging from BMX biking and skateboarding to martial arts to you know your typical team sports of soccer and baseball and football, mm-hmm. um, but there was something about badge- basketball that that just resonated the most with me, and that was always my favorite. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be a pretty good high school player, and then uh, play down at Elon College, uh, which is now Elon University down in North Carolina. And uh, I-, I knew that when I graduated college that that I wanted a career in the game of basketball. Uh, But of course, in the late 90s, there weren't that many options of things to do. I mean, the most obvious option would be, you know, to to be a teacher and a coach. And uh, I thought that was the route that I was going to go, but quickly realized I I just wasn't as passionate about the teaching part as I was about the coaching part. And both of my parents were in elementary education. Both of them were teachers. So I have a tremendous respect for teachers and, and for that vocation and realized that, You know, if you're going to be a teacher, that's not something that you can just go through the motions and mail it in. I mean, you need to be all in for your students. You owe them that. And I realized that's just not where my heart was. So I needed to find a different path. And (coughs) Excuse me. So I ended up uh, pursuing being a basketball strength and conditioning coach. Um, But there weren't a lot of opportunities to do that with teams. So I just started my own business um, and was training high school players locally here in the D.C. area And, you know, started to develop an equal affinity and love for the training portion as I did for the actual game. And, you know, so being a basketball performance coach is what I did for for almost 20 years uh, before I made the leap over to what I'm currently doing, which is more corporate work uh, and teaching businesses how to apply the same lessons uh, of leadership and teamwork and, uh, you know, how to build winning cultures. So everything that the game has taught me and Everything that that so many great players and great coaches have taught me, uh, I now apply to businesses.
0: Yes, and, and I, I gotta tell you Alan I feel I've seen you at so many clinics and I feel like I have every one of your videos. I feel like I'm part owner of the Alan Stein Incorporated. I well, am very, very much are. And very I, I,
1: and I appreciate that
0: <laughs> um, but I always love what I love about you is your um, your vision. You always have a, a good vision and a purpose. And uh, that's what I really admire about you and um, I admired about the, uh, the drive that you always had to get people better. Hey, can you tell the audience about uh, for being a basketball performance coach and how that experience led you to the speaking and leadership training you are doing right now? I think you already mentioned that, but you can kind of explain that a little bit more.
1: Sure. Well, you know, uh Initially, it was just my love of basketball, and then that kind of morphed into my my love of training uh but then after being in it for for a while, I started <coughs> to develop an equal love for just pouring into to players and to coaches and into serving players and coaches and and arming them with everything I could uh, to be the best players and coaches they could be so things like leadership and team cohesion and um <coughs> you know again building winning cultures those things all became really really important to me and over time it just became uh, that basketball was simply the vehicle for me to do that and you know now I I consider my greater purpose is to fill other people's buckets and to empower and give people the tools they need to be the best versions of themselves and for most of my career basketball was just the platform to do that so I, I kind of outgrew just looking at myself as a performance coach and really tried to look at myself as a as a servant leader that that wanted to pour into players and coaches and and even though i don't do a ton in the direct basketball space anymore most of my work is corporate uh basketball players and coaches will always have a very special place in my heart um because that's it's just a group that i've been around my whole life and and really that was part of the transition uh now I had the same mission, which is to fill people's buckets and, and arm the tools to be the best they can be. I've just kind of pivoted in the audience, and it's it's now not just players and coaches, but folks in the business world, uh, entrepreneurs, executives, and so forth. So um, I, I think part of that just comes with maturity. You know, If you would have asked me 15 years ago what my job was, it was to get players to run faster and jump higher. Now, if you ask me what my job is, it's to help people be the best they can be. So uh, I, I'd, I'd like to believe that through experience uh, and some maturity and hopefully some newfound wisdom uh, that my purpose has, has grown.
0: Yes. And of course, most of them-
1: Hello, I lost you, coach. at each of those levels whoever's winning the most is the best in that group and and sometimes that is true and and yes uh, i do think that most coaches in the nba and most coaches in college are, are excellent coaches they know their stuff um but that doesn't mean that they're better than anybody
0: else <laughs> now i tell you sometimes you know technology's crazy um, no
1: no worries a bit man i totally understand
0: so I know you're the, you're the podcast, man. I, I saw I got to know you a little bit with your podcast. Um, but, um, hey, continue on what you're, you're talking about because that's a big issue I have. So I, and that's why I really started the podcast was coaches who are not being recognized but are doing a great job building great kids. Kind of continue on that.
1: Yeah, well, and that's the thing. I just think, and I love that that's your mission. I just think, generally speaking, all of us in every realm – need to do better jobs uh, praising the process and praising those that do things the right way. And, you know, now more times than not, when you have a coach that does things the right way and they know the game and they develop their players and they have a culture, they will win more often than otherwise, but it still doesn't guarantee a state championship. I mean, those things still come down to the horses you have in the stable. So, you know, I, I still find there is a direct correlation between, Creating a winning culture and actually winning games, uh, I think what you'll find is those uh you know those those coaches that you're talking about they're winning more than they would have if they weren't doing things the right way exactly, uh, but we yeah. just need to praise that and you know perfect example uh last night uh, so I have eight year old twin sons and and they're on a basketball team, and they practice every Friday night from seven to eight and with it being the Friday right before Christmas, uh most families were out of town, so the coach said we're going to cancel practice. And I just said, well, if the gym's still going to be open, do you mind if I just take my sons in there to get some shots up? And and I asked my sons first, because I'm a big believer that the desire needs to come from them. Uh, I don't ever make my kids work out. I don't make them practice. I just said, would you guys like to go get some shots up? And they both said yes. So we went. Uh, Had they said no, I would not have taken them. But uh, we went in and you know, they're putting up some shots and they're, you know, they're in third grade. So they're slowly starting to (laughs) develop their mechanics and their footwork. But one thing I've noticed, especially at the young ages, I mean, if you want to talk about this, we're always praising the outcome. I mean, think how many times when a coach or a trainer is working with a player and they only say nice shot when the shot goes in, right. That's, that's part of the problem. That means we're praising the outcome. So that means it's a nice shot when it goes in, so by default, it's not a good shot if it doesn't. And that therein lies part of the problem. You know, what I try to do is is tell my kids, you know, that was a nice shot before I even see if it goes in because it all has to do with their footwork and their mechanics. Sure. And if they shoot the ball correctly, I don't care if it goes in or not. I want to praise the fact that they mm-hmm. did it right because you know very well that that you can make bad shots and you can miss good shots and too often we're not we're not praising things that are done right you know i believe that a shot is either good or bad the moment it's taken it has nothing to do with whether it goes in it's all about time and score and who the player is and if they're in rhythm and if they're in range and is there a defender close to them could they make a pass for a better shot when you take all of those things into account the moment the shot is taken yes that was a great shot for our team to take or no, that was not a good shot for our team to take. So whether or not it goes in is is irrelevant. And that just gets reinforced during games. You know, now when my third grade son's going playing games, parents only clap when the ball goes in and they don't <laughs> clap when it doesn't. And that's right. that's reinforcing the wrong things.
0: <coughs> yeah, and particularly, at the, like you said, at the youth level, uh, and I see so many, it's hard to train youth coaches, by the way. I just want to tell oh, you. Oh, yes. Oh my word. But um yeah, you're trying to like, you know, let's take for example, uh, I'm an elementary PE teacher. I got the best job in the world, by the way. Nice. Um and I I work with third graders like your sons. Um and it's all about just learning the proper technique and not focusing on the results. Um but a lot of youth leagues are just just the back, you know. I mean, they're going 5 on 5 and we I play all my all my youth camps, we go 3 on 3 no more. I love um, it. And it's all about footwork. It's all about, you know, shot mechanics. And you focus on that only. Uh, but it's hard to do. And the parents are sometimes the worst. I mean, the worst critics, sometimes, as you said.
1: Of course. And, and you know, it's I mean, I'm again, I don't want to make it sound like I live in this Pollyanna world where the, the outcome is not <laughs> important. I mean, I understand right. the, the premise of the game is put the ball in the basket. So making sure. shots is important. But as you just mentioned, so insightfully, there's a process to that at the younger ages, the ball actually going in the basket should be less important. Obviously when you get up to high school and then college and pro, I mean, that's what they're getting paid for. If the ball's not going in the basket, then you're not going to get paid. Um, So I, I get it. But, but what I want is to make the connection, especially with my sons, that if you shoot correctly, consistently, the ball will go in more times than it, than, than it would if you didn't. And that's the connection I want them to make, that just because you use perfect footwork and perfect mechanics, it does not guarantee the ball that's it's going in, but it increases the chances that it will. And that's no different than a golf swing or, or any other skill. Um, so I just want them to make that connection. And, of course, the, the most important connection I make with them is that if you want to get good at any skill, then you have to put in the time and you have to get in the reps. There's never been a shooter in the history of the game that hasn't put in the time to deserve to be a great shooter. I mean, you go down the list, whether it's Reggie Miller or Larry bird or Ray Allen or Steph Curry, all of those guys put in an unfathomable amount of work uh, during the unseen hours to be good at that, that specific skill. And that's the other thing I, I want my children to know that there's a direct correlation between how much work you put in during the unseen hours and how many reps you get and how good you'll be at that specific skill. So you put in the time, you master your mechanics and footwork, you repeat that, repeat that, repeat that. And then you will be the best shooter that you're capable of. And that's, that's all any of us should be looking for.
0: Yes. And you need to send that to all my players, please. (laughs) I'm going to have you do like a little audio for them. Um, And that's because I have, I have one player that a sophomore, she's a great player, Alan. And but she is practicing and working on her game every day. She's very, very disciplined. And obviously now at this point, um, you know, she's she's dominating the scoring and she's she's shooting the ball well, but it's not something that it just happened, something that she's been working on. And uh, we're trying to sell that to our players. And that's always the challenge of coaching, right? Trying yes. to get them to work in the offseason. Um, hey, tell me about uh, – we're going to talk about your book, and I love the lessons. I've actually pre-ordered your book. I'm so excited about reading it. Thank you. Um, tell me about your experience with two of my favorite coaches, Morgan Wooten of DeMatha and yes. Stu Vetter Stu of Montrose. You can't work with two better coaches, Alan.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, yes, and, and the only – my only hesitation to that is Mike Jones, uh, the coach that took over for Morgan Wooten when he retired – uh, yeah. I actually, I would put on that same Mount Rushmore, uh, Coach Jones. I mean, can you even imagine uh, the the internal and external pressure <laughs> taking over from Morgan Wooten and the all time winningest coach in high school basketball? And wow. Coach yeah. Coach Jones did that seamlessly, and and he's still the coach at Tamatha and does a great job. But yes, uh, very fortunate. You know, it was neat uh, growing up in this area. Uh, I did not go to DeMatha, but I always went to Coach Wooten's summer basketball camp. So I was very familiar with him and 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 the way that he did things because uh, I would go to camp two or three weeks a summer for most of elementary, middle, and even the beginning of high school. So, you know, I had always had this infatuation uh, with Coach Wooten and with DeMatha and then to have an opportunity to work there years later under, you know, his protege, Mike Jones, was really, really cool. But yes, uh, Coach Vetter, Coach Wooten, and Coach Jones are as good as it gets and here's the thing though you know those guys have won Mm. a lot of games and they'll all be the first to tell you that it's because they had great talent but those guys also all three of them were very process driven and did things the right way you know character counted um you know the they they ran their you know they ran their practices with surgical precision i mean those guys did things the right way so they're perfect examples Of the coaches that you mentioned earlier but they were also able to win and and of course you know all of those both of those programs the Matha and montrose you know we were able to recruit players so you know within the rules of course um so we were able to have you know some say in the level of talent that we had and then you know nothing attracts talent like winning so when you win and you develop players and they go on to be successful in college in the nba then more players want to play there. So it's kind of this, this cycle, but you know, if Mike Jones were to leave Damatha tomorrow and he were to go uh, to the most rural suburb of the smallest city in the United States and coach a girls JV team, he would still be the same excellent coach he is. Now he might not get as much notoriety as he gets at Damatha, but that wouldn't make him any less of a coach. Uh, Same thing with – I mean Coach K could retire from Duke tomorrow and start coaching my son's third-grade basketball team, and he would still be a brilliant coach. So that goes back to my earlier point that you know the level at which you coach, that has nothing to do with how good you are. Uh, How good you are has to do with your ability to develop your players and develop your team so that they can maximize their potential and be the best they can be. And sometimes that's good enough to win, and sometimes it's not.
0: Right, and all those guys, and of course, I love. I studied Morgan and uh, Stu Vetter and so forth. On they're probably the only other coaches that I have probably more videos than Alan Stein. I mean, I mean that's I have all those guys' information, and those guys are such character building guys. Yes, they are, Um, and 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 we forget about
1: that guys. Yeah, Yeah,
0: process. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Well, and and the neat part is, so if someone listening is going, what does what does a character guide means? It means that that is a standard in their program that you are expected to hold yourself to the highest level of accountability from a character standpoint on and off the court. And if you don't, there will be consequences. You are being held accountable for doing that. And not only are you held accountable, but these things are emphasized and they're praised every single day, you know, because that, which gets praised, gets repeated. So both of those coaches, you know, uh, Talk about character and praise when you make a good character decision, and then you get punished or there's consequences when you don't. You know, if if you're caught cheating on a test or you miss homeroom or you know, uh, someone sees that you didn't touch the baseline when you were running a suicide. You sure. know, those are all examples of a momentary lapse of character. And the nice part about you know Coach Vetter and Coach Jones is they also understand that we're playing the long game, that we're trying to develop, in this case, young men, because both were boys' schools, but obviously applies to to females as well, that we're playing the long game. And kids, which is what they are, are going to make mistakes. Kids are going to not touch the baseline on a suicide. Uh, Kids are going to skip homeroom. Kids are gonna have a momentary lapse of judgment and copy someone else's homework. So when those things do happen, what makes them so remarkable is that they use them as as learning lessons and as teaching points. They take advantage of the fact that you didn't touch the baseline and now I'm going to teach you a lesson that will be with you for the rest of your life. So it's not about condemning someone or, you know, making the punishment this this, you know, monstrosity. It's about using these little mess-ups to teach them to strengthen their character moving forward and, you know, having been a part of both of those programs, they would only recruit kids that they believed had high character and came from high character environments. But then even more so, by the time those kids graduated, their their character was even stronger.
0: Yeah, and, and you never know that, right, Alan, until you know, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, the impact you had on these kids. Yes. Um, and I think a lot of these coaches now, not, not a lot, but – I don't think they really value that. I think they really value the wins and losses. But there's a lot of great coaches like Morgan, Mooten, Stu, Better. There's a lot of them out there um, that really need to be recognized for those accomplishments. But those are something that that it just goes this goes unnoticed. But I think the value of that is these kids coming back to their programs, saying thank you, and um, that's one of those you could write a book on that, Alan. I mean, just on for sure. Yeah, absolutely.
1: and I was going to say, you know, the the same is true in the business world. I mean, um, the businesses that get the most recognition, you know, that's Apple and Google and Nike and the big Goliaths that that everybody's familiar with. And yes, in many cases, they do a tremendous job. But you know, you know as well as I do, um, the power of the the mom and pop shop and the small business, and that you know, I have met so many CEOs. And executives and founders and entrepreneurs that run small businesses that no one has ever heard of that are wildly successful you know they save they solve major problems for their customers and and clients Uh, they run great businesses they have uh, immaculate customer service they have tremendous culture and and you know uh retention with with the folks that work with them i mean they're doing it at a super high level And yet no one's heard of them. And it's, and I'm always fascinated when, you know, like a group will reach out for me to speak and I'm thinking, okay, I'm not even familiar with them. I've never heard of them. And then I start doing my due diligence and I'm like, oh my goodness, this, this is a hundred million dollar company. They've been in business for 50 years. They have a tremendous reputation with those they work with. And I had never heard of them before. And they're as good as anybody out there. And that's the same with you highlighting a coach that most people haven't heard of because they haven't won a state championship and yet they do everything at a super high level. It's, it's really the same. And and we could do this in any vocation. Um, You know, you, you look at the musicians and you look at the, the actors. I mean, the ones we're all enamored with are the ones that are on, you know, the most on Netflix and the ones that are selling the most records because they, they've cracked the code for the outcome, but there's just as many talented musicians. I mean, we see it every year on whether it's The Voice or American Idol, I mean, how many incredibly talented people there are out there, but they don't necessarily get the recognition. So um, even though we do live in a very outcome-based and results-oriented society, I, I'm with you 100%. I think we need to start praising people that that do the process the right way.
0: Absolutely. The unknown soldiers and the hidden greatness that's out there it's unbelievable. I am uh, I see greatness every day with just the little kids that I work with. Uh, and, and I guess our jobs, Alan, is right to get it out of them. Yes. Right, to inspire and so forth. Hey, I have a great question for you. I just want to get your opinion because I know um, you really know probably these two players, Kevin Durant and Zion Williamson. Kevin Durant, when he was coming out of college, there was potential greatness, but he was – he was thin. He was not strong. The critics were all over him. And then you have Zion Williamson, who's considered probably one of the best unique athletes ever. Yeah. And, and they're, they're, they're two different. Now, Kevin Durant has been, I think I think he's the best basketball player on the planet. That's my, that's my opinion. But Zion Williamson, he, he's coming up. He's strong. He's built strong. And he has all this pressure on him to produce. He's already great. And he hasn't really done anything. Tell me the difference between those two. You know Kevin Durant. How Kevin Durant came up. A lot of critics were on him about all the flaws and things like that. And how Kevin Durant has. Can can Zion Williamson do the same? You
1: know, I I don't know a lot about Zion. I've never met him personally. I mean, I've I've certainly caught a couple of Duke games this year. And I've seen most of his high Mm -hmm. school highlights, which – I agree, are are absolutely insane, um, but I don't know enough about him. I do know enough about the Duke program and of Coach K uh, that they also recruit guys of high character. Uh, so the fact that he's at Duke uh, leads me to believe that, in addition to his physical raw materials, he also has the mental and emotional raw materials uh, to be great as well. Now. Clearly, he's only going to stay under the, the Coach K tutelage for, you know, less than a calendar year because then he's going to move on, uh, which is a shame because he, he could probably learn so much if he would stay for a couple years, but totally understand and support him, him going, you know, really the big difference. I mean, when I saw Kevin at a young age, um, one of the, the, the most obvious traits was how much he loved the game of basketball, like as a purist, he loved the game. He didn't want to be good at basketball because it would lead to money and because it would lead to fame. He wanted to be good at basketball because he loved the game and then fame and money just happened to be byproducts of that. So the only thing I can say is if Zion loves the game as much, then there's no ceiling on how good he can be. If, if he's only, if his main drive is, is external to be famous or to make money or his main drive is because other people just say, Hey, you need to play basketball because you're this athletic freak um, then it will limit how good he can be. But from everything I'm watching Mm -hmm. now, I mean, he appears to be a great teammate uh, appears to be unselfish and and yeah, he was definitely born with some once in a generation (laughs) physical tools. uh, So it will just be interesting to see. And you know, the other thing is, you know, I mean, all the way up until even while he was still at OKC, I knew some of the people at OKC and they would say, you know, even after he had won his MVP award, that Kevin acts as if he's on a 10 day contract. He's still the first guy at the gym every day and the last guy to leave. In fact, uh, there was kind of this running joke that it started to become a competition between him and Russell Westbrook, who could get to the gym the earliest, like whoever showed up first had bragging rights that day and, and the legend has it. I mean, it got to the point where those guys were getting to the gym two or three hours before practice because that's what they needed to do to beat the other guy. But then that started to become contagious with the other players and the other guys started coming in early. And even back in the James Harden days, then James Harden was coming in early. You know? So um, if, if Zion is cut from that cloth, then I think we'll see, yeah, a, a once-in-a-lifetime type player. Uh, if he's not, then he might end up going on that pile of guys that could have been great but never quite actualize their potential. And as a coach K and as a Duke fan myself, uh, I'm rooting for him big time. I, I would love to see that young man, you know, continue to do some really special things.
0: Yes, absolutely. That, that, that Duke team is unbelievable. I mean, I, yeah. I've never seen a team like that, Alan. I mean, that, that's a great team and uh coach K always does a great job, even with the great talent. He has the ability to still inspire and motivate those type of players Um, He's got a great thing going. Hey, let's talk about your book. uh, Raise your game. I'm looking forward to that. I want to talk about the lessons that you have in your book. Uh, And one of the lessons is the importance of standards. And you mentioned about Howard Schultz of Starbucks. Um, I'm really a big believer in standards, particularly in our program. Tell us, tell us the value of standards in organizations, basketball programs. What's the value of those?
1: Well, this whole concept of standards is really, I mean, I took it out of page of the, the Coach K playbook. I mean, he was the first one that I recognized that used those words um, and basically what he said. And, and this comes all the way back to one of his first books, Leading with the Heart, um, that most organizations and most teams have kind of a top down approach where the top creates rules and everyone is expected to follow those rules. And if you don't follow those rules, you're penalized or in the real world, you're fired. Um, and he believes that that's – and I concur completely, obviously, uh, that that's not the best way <laughs> to create a winning culture, that standards is something that are collectively created throughout the whole group, and everybody has a say, and then those standards are what you, you live out. That's the code at which you live by to uphold your, your identity and your mission and your purpose, so – you know, and, and in his book, he has another book, Coach K, called The Gold Standard that was talking about his first time with the, the U.S. Olympic team and that you know he got Kobe and LeBron and KD and those guys uh, to help create the standards of excellence that were needed for them to win the gold. And then everybody agreed to live up to those standards, and then they held each mm-hmm. other accountable anytime someone didn't. So uh, that's where standards and rules are a little bit different. You know, standards uh, are something that everybody has a say in and a voice. Uh, and, you know, as a coach, when people have a say and a voice, uh, there's going to be more buy-in and more believe-in. They feel like they're a part of it, uh, which is what we want. And then, you know, the standards are something that we just agree to live up to. So, you know, if we have a standard on our team that everyone will be prompt for all team mm-hmm. meetings, film room sessions, weight room sessions, practices, and games, and we all agree that that is a standard that's needed for us to be successful, then when someone shows up three minutes late <laughs> – they've clearly violated one of our standards and that's just unacceptable. We, we can't allow that as a coach. You can't allow that as a player or a teammate. Um, and we hold each other accountable for that. And, and, in the line with that, which what coach K has done such a great job with is letting people know that, you know, accountability is not something you do to someone. It's something you do for them. That if you show up, Kevin, two minutes late to our practice and I hold you accountable for that, that's a good thing. That means I care about you and I care about our program and I'm not going to allow you to erode it by being late. So I'm going to hold you accountable. When you hold someone accountable, you show them that you care, you show them that you care about them as a person, and you show them that you care about your organization or team. And that's incredibly, incredibly important. And that's what I think coach K has done a tremendous job of um, with, with every team that he's had and every group that he's been with.
0: Yeah. And just kind of adding on to that, um, you know, you mentioned about the Arthur blank of home Depot is about being a great listener. I love the, I love the lesson that you shared about him going into the parking lot and, you know, talking to customers that did not buy anything and you talk about being a great listener. What's the, how can, how can us coaches be a great listener with our players? Well, I do believe
1: that listening, uh, is the gold for all relationships. Mm -hmm. Like if you want to improve any relationship in your life immediately, whether it's with your spouse, with your own child, with a player, with a, an assistant coach, uh, with a colleague, with a coworker, if you want to immediately improve any relationship, just get better at the skill of active listening, because that's where the gold is. That's where you really find out what you need, uh, to create the glue and the bond of a very solid relationship. So uh, even though it sounds counterintuitive because most people picture coaches as the ones that are disseminating the information and the instruction and the knowledge, uh, because they're the experts, uh, a really great coach will always listen uh, and they'll listen to their players. Uh, they'll listen to their staff. And, you know, with listening, you have to be able to ask insightful questions. And, and one thing I would always know, you know, I would notice that, you know, while I was warming the guys up at Damatha coach Jones is kind of walking around and he's talking to the players and he's always asking them questions. And it could be something as little as, you know, Hey, how'd you do on your chemistry test this morning to, you know, Hey, I I know your ankle's been sore. How's it feeling today to, you know, we've got a big game coming up on Friday. What do you think is our key to winning? And he was always asking them questions and this does a couple of things. One, it shows the person that you care about them and that you care about their input. So now they're going to give you more believe in and buy in and give you a better effort and more focus because they know that you care. Uh, But it also gives you newfound information and a new perspective. You know, as a coach, you can come up with this, this game plan of what you think is needed to win. And one of your players might share something that you never even thought of because they view it from a completely different perspective. And the best business leaders I've been around, they do that. You know, when you pick you picture the average business that that they have different departments, they have a sales team, they have a research and development team, they have account executives, they have the leadership team, they have customer service, you know, they have lots of different departments <laughs> within their company, and the really smart ones, instead of always just asking the leadership team, who who usually views things the same way, because they're all in the same ivory tower they ask people in the customer service department they ask people in research and development they ask people that do sales hey what do you think about this and often you'll get some different perspectives and you know uh, same thing with a principal at a school you know are you asking teachers in different departments of different subjects are you asking questions of the building service staff are you asking questions of your fellow administrators because the more stuff you ask the more stuff you'll know and and great leaders are always open to getting that little gold nugget or that knowledge bomb that they weren't even aware of when they open themselves up and they ask questions.
0: Yes, and, I, and I'm going I'm to tell you that that's not happening at a lot of our schools. I, mean, I think that's one of the things that's missing. Um, there's not enough sit-downs with admin administrations and, and, and talking to teachers and coaches. I think that's something that needs to be done. I think in every school, I think that needs to be applied uh, too many decisions are being made by, like you said, certain committees and leadership yeah. teams but without the teachers' input. They sh- that should be the main people and in- that yeah. they should be seeking. But and, um, and is, as an educator, I don't see that. <laughs> no,
1: and it's and this is not just true in education. This should be for any team, for any business, and even even for a family. I mean, you know, I, I'm very amicably divorced, and I, I have a very you know, great relationship with my ex-wife. I have a great strong connection with my kids. I actually have them this weekend there. They're being very patient right now while I'm uh, <laughs> while I'm doing this interview. Right. And, and I run my family in the same way. I am always asking my kids questions and I want them to have input. You know, if we're going to go out to eat tonight, I want them to have input on where we're going to go and what they're going to order when they get there, as opposed to me always telling them, which is what I think happens most of the time When you have an adult and you have young kids now, most adults, as their kids get older and become teenagers, they start to have some input. But, you know, I believe in treating my kids now as if they are the adults that I want them to be. And it doesn't mean that just because one of my sons says he wants to eat at this restaurant, that that's what we're doing. But I want him to have a voice and I want him to say. And and it's interesting because they'll say something like, well, you know, Lila got to pick last time. So shouldn't it be my turn to pick? And I'm thinking, you know, that's a great, that's a great suggestion. That's a great, you, that shows me that you put some thought into this and that you're trying to come up with a fair way to approach where we go eat tonight. And I, I like that line of thinking. So I really encourage that. So I try to ask my kids questions all of the time and, and I don't force it. I mean, my kids are like anyone else's kids. You know, I pick them up from school and say, you know, hey, what was the best thing that happened to you today? And nothing. And, and, and I, have <laughs> exactly. to, I have to respect the fact that at that moment. They don't feel like talking or sharing, so Go I don't ahead. force it. But that, the most important part is that, that I asked and they know that I care. And then when they feel like talking, uh, you know, which usually happens a couple hours later, they'll say, hey, dad, you should have seen this happen in art class today. It was really awesome. And it will just naturally unfold. So that's the other thing from a leadership standpoint. And when you ask questions, this yeah. can't be forced upon people. Uh, it just needs to be this this concept that I am open to listening, whatever it is that you want to share. And I would love your input. And that does become harder at bigger organizations. I mean, if I have a thousand uh, you know, employees at my company, it's not like we can take a thousand person vote every time a decision needs to be made. Um, that's not the point. The point is making an effort to at least touch base and be open. And so of our thousand employees You know, 200 of them are in sales, 200 of them are in customer service, 200 of them are in research and development. Well, let me at least make sure that I ask a few people in each of those departments and let them kind of represent the rest of their group. Um, I I think that is that is vital. And I've never met a really influential and impactful and revered leader uh, that didn't that didn't listen and ask questions, you know, religiously.
0: Yes, and along that line, too, Alan, you talked about elite teams are open to feedback and making adjustments. Just the other day, <clears throat> my head of school is, uh, and his name's Dr. Otho Tucker, and we talk a lot. He played at Illinois under Lou Henson, and mm-hmm. he, was dra- he was drafted by the Celtics. So he's got a great basketball mind. Uh, and I am not afraid of seeking out information, particularly from people who know the game there's certain people I don't want information from, but of course, um, but he he gave me some great advice. We're talking about, you know, talking about our delay game and so forth. I'm always open to doing things better. And we, we kind of made some adjustments to it and so forth. But, but my point is you talk about Domino's pizza and the CEO, Patrick Doyle, believes that elite teams are open to feedback and make adjustments. How can we utilize that advice?
1: feedback is a catalyst to growth. I mean, without feedback, none of us will get better. And it doesn't matter if you're talking about Domino's trying to improve their pizza or a player being open to feedback on a coach trying to correct their shooting form or or footwork. We all need to be open to feedback. Uh, Now, as you just mentioned, um, being open to feedback and taking feedback uh, are slightly different. Uh, I don't believe we need to take feedback from everyone. I believe we should be open to it. Um, you know, at right now by trade, I'm a professional speaker, uh, and people are always trying to give feedback, you know, on a talk and I have to discern whether or not that person's feedback is valid to helping me improve my craft, not about the content, but if someone's going to come up and say, Hey, you know, you should deliver it this way. Well, the very first thing I have to ask is, you know, are you a professional speaker or are you a trained coach in professional speaking? Like, what is your experience? If you're just coming up to give me your opinion that's okay, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's qualified feedback. Uh, Any more than, you know, if you have a player and she's trying to work on her jump shot, uh, you just pick some random stranger off the street. They might have an opinion on what she should do, but that doesn't mean they're qualified to offer feedback. So we do have to be very careful who we accept feedback from. but, But the thing I've noticed from all high performers, whether they're players, coaches, entrepreneurs, or executives, is that whatever feedback they get once they run it through their filter and discern that it is appropriate feedback, then they use it in a way that serves them and makes them better. And, and there's, there's a, a key to that because we can get what most people would consider positive feedback, and we can also get what most people would consider negative feedback. And both of them, you choose whether or not to use it in a way that makes you better. Um, you know, if if you get what most people consider positive feedback, then that should reinforce that what you've been doing is working. And the feedback is you should keep doing it. Uh, if you get what most people consider negative feedback, then you might look to change some things and tweak some things so that you'll be better served moving forward. So no matter what feedback you get, you should be able to use it, you know, in, in a constructive way. So perfect example, you have a player and she's shooting jump shots and, you know, Yes, your footwork looks great. Yes, your footwork looks great. Okay, well, that's feedback that she should keep doing what she's doing. Or you might say, you know, hey, your your lead foot is turned a little bit too much. You need to turn it this way. Up, nope, your lead foot is turned a little bit too much. It needs to go back this way. Well, that's feedback that she can use constructively to now course correct and and tighten the screws and refocus the lens. So uh, it's it's important that we're open to it and. Again, it is the catalyst to growth. Anyone that I've ever met that is not open to feedback is unconsciously telling me that they're not open to growing and they're not open to getting better.
0: Yeah, and it's the same thing with our leaders. Sometimes we to try to coach up our players, like you're saying, are they really listening? How are we, you know, how are we coaching them? You know, are, are we asking questions? I, what you're saying, it, it, everything's kind of all encompassing, right? Yeah. Uh, how we're communicating well, with our players. Sometimes we tell our players everything yes. and they're not, they're not really listening, but there's probably a reason for that.
1: Well, <laughs> here, here Here's a perfect <laughs> example. So you, let's say you're doing a little three on three scrimmage with your team <clears throat> and a player makes what you deem to be the wrong pass. And you stop practice. Now, most coaches would do what you just said. You would simply tell them, no, that was the wrong pass. Instead of passing it here, you should have passed it down to this person here. You had a better angle and they were open. That's what you should have done. And that robs them of a learning experience. And it robs you of the ability to learn what it was that they were seeing. So in my opinion, a better approach would be to say, okay, stop everyone. Can you explain to me why you thought that was the best pass? Why did you think that was the right decision? And and let them explain what they saw at that point in time. And and sometimes it'll be valid and they saw something and you know, she was open at that moment and then the gap closed and the defender stole the ball. Um but then it also it it opens up to the autonomy of letting them decide what they think would be the right decision and then instead of telling them what to do, you could say something to the effect of, okay, well, I appreciate you sharing that. And I see what you're saying, but did you think about passing to this person over here? Cause from my vantage point, that would have been a better pass because, you know, and then you list your reasons. So it's more right. of, instead of talking at the player, it's talking with them and getting them because one of the best things we can do with, with our children, with our students, with our players, and with our employees is let them practice the skill of making decisions if we make every decision for them to the point where they're just puppets, then they don't get better at making decisions. You know, it's, it's not that much different than our body's immune system. I mean, if you were to wall off and put yourself in a bubble so that no germs could ever touch you, over time you would weaken your immune system because your immune system wouldn't have any practice fighting off colds and fighting off germs. And it's the same thing. When you tell a player every single thing they need to do like they're a puppet, And then they get in the game and they have to make their own decision. Well, they haven't had very much practice at it. So, you know, I believe in in delegating. I believe in autonomy and I believe in letting players make their own mistakes and then talk with them to teach them what could have potentially been a better solution.
0: Yeah, that's great advice. And I think it's hard for coaches under the competitive, you know, parts of practice and games. I, I see that a lot with coaches. You know, we get so dominant instead of just kind of slowing down and really kind of seeing it through their eyes. Right.
1: Absolutely. But that, again, goes back to the uh, we're just worried about the outcome. We're just worried about making sure that we win. You know, I mean, because because some of the best lessons you can actually teach a player are actually in game. And are you willing to depend? I mean, are you willing to lose a game? to teach a lesson is a question that most coaches need to ask. Now, remember this teach a lesson could be a couple of things. One, it could be, you know, there's the, the, we're down by one. Our team just got the defensive rebound. There's 15 seconds left. Do I call a timeout and tell them exactly what they need to do to win? Or do I let them try to figure it out on the fly and risk losing this game because they don't make the right decision. That's something a coach needs to be faced with. Another would be, you know, Hey, my star player didn't show up on time for school today. So do I let her play and increase our chances of winning tonight? Or do I teach her a lesson and make her sit out and watch and risk losing? I'm not saying there's a right or a wrong to either of those scenarios. I'm just saying as a coach, that's something we constantly have to evaluate and look at um, and and look at the bigger picture. Because learning those lessons, you you sit a star player out where they have to watch a game and the team loses. I can almost guarantee that is a lesson that will stay with them for the rest of their life. So if your big picture goal is, is to, to help empower our players to become better human beings, then that might be the right decision at that time. And, and like, I cannot stress enough, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, and I'm not telling coaches what to do. I'm just saying they need to examine that.
0: I, I definitely agree there. I know from my experience, when I have done that, it really builds. We always seem to play better the sure. other players step up and so forth. They just kind of bond together. Um, <clears throat> I think that's absolutely necessity in coaching on that. You have to, players have to, um, they have to be responsible for their actions. Hey, Alan, tell me one of your lessons is Jeff Bezos uh, talked about the two pizza rule. And I, I really kind of, I thought about that and I said, elite leaders know that small intimate circles get more stuff done. What do you, what do you, what do you mean by that? Cause I know in big groups, sometimes in our, in our teacher meetings, we have all hundred or so teachers. We never seem to get anything accomplished. <laughs> um,
1: yeah. Well, it, it's because it, if we go back to the listening and the voices being heard uh, it's, it's harder to have voices heard when you have more bodies in the room. I mean, that's one of the things I've always <clears> loved <throat> about basketball for the most part you 've got a fifteen person roster at the high school level you've got a fifteen person roster and you have three or four assistants so throw in a couple of managers and at most you 've got twenty people in the room, which is pretty manageable you know even if you go up to football, you know sometimes you could have ninety to a hundred uh, and then you start talking about businesses or schools. it gets much bigger, and I just think it's harder for everyone's voice to be heard so uh, you know, with Jeff Bezos from Amazon, uh, Amazon believes instead of, you know, and you're talking about a company with tens of thousands of employees, but he wants to always break that down and never have meetings that two pizzas couldn't serve everybody dinner uh, because that that way everyone gets a chance to have some insight. And that just simply means you can break up into more groups. So instead of having one meeting with 100 people, why don't you have 10 meetings with 10 people? And let's see what comes out of each of those 10.
0: Yes. And I, I tell you what I have done this year, I put together a leadership team of coaches and players. I don't have captains. I just don't believe in captains. I um, And I have a leadership team is what we call it. Um, I have coaches that are responsible and they're delegated to, for example, to my communications director, my public relations, all that. I have different. And sometimes, you know, they, they laugh at me and they always say, Oh my, you know, my duties are going up, you know, um, but I get, I like to give players and coaches a lot of responsibility. What's your philosophy on that as far as relating to business and sport?
1: Well, it's, I mean, I love the concept of, of delegating authority. I love the concept of autonomy and letting people make decisions. And, and what, what I really like about what you just said is, you know, you've kind of gone against the norm of what most coaches do, which is just arbitrarily select captains. And you've found something that that works better for you, your philosophy, the culture you're trying to create. And to me, that's what's most important. Uh, I don't really believe uh, in good or bad or right or wrong when it comes to running a program because I think everyone's going to be a little different. Now, I do think there are certain practices that tend to do better most of the time. I mean, I, I found that most coaches who have a written practice plan down to the minute of what they're going to do tend to run more effective and organized practices than those that don't. But I still wouldn't say that something is right or something is wrong. So I think every business, every team, every coach needs to really have the self-awareness to figure out what works best for them. And, and many times, the only way you'll know that is to try. You know, so maybe early in your coaching career, you assign captains and then uh, a few years later, it's whoever the seniors are, they're captains. And then a few years later, you let the players vote on captains. And then a few years later, you go, I don't even want any of this captain business. I want to do something different. I think that's how you learn. And, and you sure. learn from doing, but you also learn from asking. I mean, I, I think, you know. Uh, we shouldn't have to make every mistake on our own. You should be able to go to some coaching mentors and say, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really wondering if having captains is the best thing I should be doing. Can you offer me some insight? What has worked well for you in your 25 year coaching career that you could share with me? And if you ask that of three or four coaches, you might start to see some patterns and you might be able to skip over the learning curve of, of learning the hard way. And, and you just figure that thing out. So, but I, I think that's, I think that's crucial. I mean, yes, a company like Google or Amazon or Nike, Facebook, uh, certainly they are doing some things right, which is why they've had that type of success. But I think the worst mistake a small business could make is say, all right, we're going to emulate Amazon. We're going to do everything just like Jeff Bezos does, um, because it might not be a good fit. Just like if you woke up tomorrow and said, I'm going to coach just like Coach K. I'm going to be his clone and be identical to Coach K. That might not be a good fit. For your personality, that might not be a, a good fit for your players and the situation you're in. So, but but over time, I think we all should be developing these convictions and and creating our own philosophies.
0: And don't you agree, Alan? Guys like Phil Knight, Nick Saban, I know, and I I study these guys. I know that they're going out and they're seeking other people. They're they're not just sitting back. They're going out and seeking information to try to get them better is that is that what you see through all these these great leaders absolutely and and they don't just seek
1: people that are in the same business they are I mean I you know I had a chance to talk to Tom Izzo uh, a few different times and one of his best resources uh, was the football coach at Michigan State like they would just talk about coaching and leadership not X's and O's and you know even with the elite level players you know you take a player like Kobe Bryant and he would relentlessly study Tom Brady He would relentlessly study Beyonce. He would relentlessly study anyone that's a high performer in their craft to figure out what can he learn from them, you know? And, and for me, um, you know, even as a basketball performance coach, yes, I would learn from other performance coaches and yes, I would learn from basketball coaches, but I never limited my learning to those two domains. I was constantly looking for other people that could teach me something that I could then add to what I'm doing. And, And I know that's one of the reasons I'm excited about the book is because it really bridges the gap where athletes and coaches can and should be learning from entrepreneurs and executives and entrepreneurs and executives can and should be learning from athletes and coaches. And and that's really the whole purpose of the book is to kind of bridge the gap between those two worlds, basketball and business, and figure out takeaways that everybody can use.
0: Alan, can you give me some final, I mean, really talk about what, what, what do you want listeners to get out of your Because I know I'm going to share it with my coaches, my players. I'm going to share it to as many people as possible. I'm really looking forward to the book. What is one last piece of advice that you want the listeners to get from reading your book?
1: I mean, the, the core fundamental of the book is that none of us should ever get bored with the basics that the basics will always work, and it doesn't matter if you're talking about the basics of basketball, which are footwork and shooting mechanics, or the basics of business, you know, which is uh, is listening and, and creating relationships and sales. Uh, that that the basics will always work, and that we can't skip over those. You know, the the book is not a high academic book. It's not going to blow anybody's mind. There's not anything in that book that even a high school student wouldn't be able to comprehend and understand. Um, but it's filled with stories, and more importantly, lessons and actionable takeaways that are basic in premise, but they're not easy to do. I mean, none of these things are easy. And and that's one thing that I want to make sure uh, listeners and future readers know that just because something is basic, it doesn't mean that it's easy. If it was easy, everyone else would be doing it. And we live in this world that that you know encourages us to skip the basics and chase the outcome and chase the result. And that's usually fool's gold. So you know, I, I think anyone that reads the book, I hope has a much stronger appreciation for the basics. And then like any book uh, or movie or piece of art, um, I just hope that it it gives them some, some, some things where they can think differently, uh, possibly view things differently, uh, reshape their perspective a little bit, um, but not anything where someone would read this cover to cover and go, okay – this is everything I have to start doing. Uh, I want people to, to take bits from the book that they believe is a good fit for them and can fit into their convictions and belief and hopefully do what the title of the book is, which is Raise Their Game.
0: Yes, absolutely. And I know I already have because I already read little, uh, little segments of it and so forth, some of the lessons you already shared on your website. And uh, I sure appreciate you joining us. Uh, I know the coaches are going to get a lot out of this. Uh, you are perfect for our podcast. I, I love talking to people who have great vision, and you are a great visionary, man. I just want to tell you, I've been following you for for a long time, and I appreciate everything that you're doing for us coaches. Yeah, well, it, us.
1: well, it's absolutely my pre- pleasure. I, I appreciate your support all of these years. It's, it's It's my honor to try and help give back to folks in the basketball community um cuz they'll always be near and dear to my heart and uh uh please drop me a follow-up line because now that we've gotten better acquainted and I have a better idea of who you're trying to reach with this show um I've got a few people in mind that I know would be great guests for you uh, and be happy to introduce you to them via email um and then you know not only do I want to be able to promote the show when you put it out uh, but I would love to be able to get a copy of this audio where I can repurpose it and put this message out to my followers and my folks um just that we're all working together to spread the word because this this was a real pleasure and, and I appreciate you, you moderating and navigating such a fruitful conversation. Thank you, Kevin.
0: Alan, thank you, thank you so much. And I wish you the best and uh, hopefully we can kind of continue this relationship. I appreciate everything you're doing. Thank Likewise. you, Alan. Later. Thank you. All right, bye now.
1: This is Alan Stein Jr. My new book, Raise Your Game, High performance secrets from the best of the best will be available from all major book retailers on January 8th. Raise Your Game takes a rare peek behind the curtain and shows you what the top coaches and players in the game do during the unseen hours. I share their routines, rituals, and habits, as well as proven strategies that you can implement with your team immediately. If you want to maximize your coaching impact and influence, order your copy today at Raise Your Game Book dot com.